The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 44, Bears Disaster Edition. You're at the best place for cigars and Chicago sports. Let me set the scene. We're at the place. The place is 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. We are at the Cigars and Sports Chicago studios, once again at the place, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. The place is a cigar lounge. It's a great place to hang out, smoke a cigar, watch a game, talk about politics, argue about whatever you want. Please come and see us one of these days. We'll give you a free autograph. Not sure why you would ever want one. You can get a selfie with Phil. You get whatever you want. You can also follow us on X, sometimes known as Twitter, at Cigars and Sports. And you can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, I would like to introduce my co-host, Phil Sullivan. Phil, I am smoking a LaFleur Dominicana El Jaco Perfecto Number 2 Natural how are you? What are you smoking? Uh, what's the update? All good. All good. I decided to break out the last Arturo Fuente between the lines cigar that I had in my stash. Great cigar. They only come out about once a year. Uh, I think they come out somewhere in the late fall before Christmas. So I'm hoping I get my hand on a few. They are actually hard to get a hold of. If you ever want to have a treat, find a way to get one, smoke one. Uh, great cigar. So under that, all good. Uh, just had a long weekend out of town. Checked off a bucket list uh, trip with my sons and went to Boston to see our beloved Chicago White Sox. If you're listening and wondering why the hell I would do that. Why the uh, hell would you do that? to just see Fenway Park. Yeah, well, the trip was booked in March. I waited a lot of years for the stars to line up for every year it was they were playing in April or they were playing a holiday or I had a wedding or nothing. And then this year in March, I see three game series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in September. I thought for sure I'd possibly see him clinch the division title by then, or we'd still be celebrating the title that was already clinched. Instead, I got to see most likely the worst team in baseball and another last team in baseball, which was kind of interesting, but we still had a great time. Ironically, we got to see uh, Chris Sale pitch for the Boston Red Sox, which was uh, kind of an ironic treat for us, but uh, great time. And, uh, and the White Sox. Well, interesting. Uh, There is a little bit of White Sox news today, even though I know that you treat them as dead, although you just made the one exception this weekend. And by the way, really good job by you switching from the Saturday game to the Friday game. Because I, if you, I did watch the game a little bit on Saturday. It was pouring down rain the entire time, and Friday night was perfect. So good job by you on that. And, you know, it's interesting because it leads me to something that you may want to bring up. Obviously, we're going to talk almost exclusively about the Bears. But interestingly, there's only six games left in the year, but Luis Robert is now uh, out for the year. He has some kind of knee injury that evidently is a four- to six-week heel, so they've Sent him, uh, sent him home for the year. He's done. He did have a good year, so we got to give him credit for that. 
you know, almost as good as Jake Berger. Oh yeah, he's on the Marlins, but he couldn't make it the whole year without somehow getting injured. He is going to play, end up playing close to 150 games. So I guess we can't really complain about it. But I thought you had an interesting point related to baseball injuries. So before we get into the Bears, since we're talking about this, why don't you bring it up? Well, you know, it's something I've been talking about for quite a few years now, or a few years, at least with the White Sox, is I've just been dumbfounded by the amount of injuries they have, the type of injuries they have, uh, and just going back to, as I would call them, the old days uh, when I played ball or back in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't, I've said this many times, I can't recall the amount of injuries that the White Sox have and how they get them. They get them running, they get them bunting, they get them waiting for a fly ball, they get them, it's just dumbfounding. So the other day, I've got a calendar that was given to me at Christmas and it's got a daily White Sox trivia fact on it. Sometimes I peel them off every day, sometimes I peel off two months, I haven't done it. So I was looking at them the other day. I was peeling some off, and I noticed something that came to mind uh, from all I was talking about with the injuries. And they had a, a statistic from 2002 to 2018, which was 17 season, for a trainer they had named Herm Schneider. And if you're a White Sox fan, you would recall Herm Schneider would come out of the dugout when somebody was injured, all approximate 300 pounds of him waddling out. And I used to say to myself, I can't believe they got this guy as a trainer because he looked like he'd never seen a training room in his life, uh, at least on the exercise end. But this stat was out there that in his 17 years, he had 9,000 in a few days of injured days off by players. Now, that seems like a large number. But and in that 9,000 some days was a total of 185 incidents. So only 185 times players came off to be injured, some for two days, five days, 30 days, a whole season. Those days all add up to the 9,000. Some seems like a big number. When you average it out, it, it came to about 542 days per year. Fast forward, I did a little deep dive, 2019 through 2023, five season. The White Sox are now averaging 1,240 days per year. So they've more than doubled since Herm Schneider left, which goes back to my theory that something's wrong with the training. Could be the players, but there's got to be something wrong with the training. It's a stark statistic. And by the way, that 17 years of Herm Schneider was the best streak of healthiness in the history of baseball of any team. So apparently the guy truly did know what he was doing. But Steve, what do you think of that? We've talked about it in the lounge before uh, about, you know, that I'm just amazed at these injuries that these players have. You say it's across all of baseball. Of course, I didn't do a deep dive, but all the teams average amount of days off per year are. But the, the White Sox in only a five-year span is stunning from what they had yeah, done in I mean, 17. There are a lot more injuries. And actually, I actually was listening to a podcast the other day, and I was surprised to hear that the White Sox were not in the top five in injuries this year. Um, and actually the Braves were the healthiest for whatever reason, which is interesting considering they're the best team, but I don't have the data, but I was, but it isn't, it's certainly not exclusive to the White Sox based on that information. But I think the, the point that you make is, is that having the least injuries in baseball over a period of time has to mean something. And, and Herm Snyder got a lot of, um, a lot of credit for that. And I guess maybe it's true. Yeah, it certainly didn't for the White Sox anyways, equate to winning, but you know, you did get to see as a fan, you know, the same lineup 
consecutive days in a row and things like that, which, and then as players, they got to get used to playing with the same guys. And if you're going out every day and you, you don't know who your double play combination guy is going to be that day, or you don't know who you're getting a cutoff throw from or where to stand or where to, it, it's got to make a difference, but it was just a, an interesting fact that I came across by accident. So Phil, let's wrap that up and talk about a good team. The Chicago bears. Oh no, no, they're actually even worse. Uh, amazingly. So, you know, talking about going to games, I had the great honor of going to the Bears-Chiefs game on Sunday. It was a 41-10 to 10 blowout. If you, uh, for some reason, do not recall, the Bears were losing 41 to nothing at halftime. It was complete destruction. The offense was terrible. The defense was terrible. Everything was terrible. And by the way, I have to admit that I went in there wearing a $250 stitched Justin Fields jersey that in the second quarter when the Chiefs scored their fourth touchdown, I just ripped it off my body and threw it into the crowd to never see it again. And, you know, I I got to amuse some people. So that was, uh, you know, that was good. I had my uh, cocaine bear shirt on underneath it. So I got some entertainment in the crowd uh, with that. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was unbelievable. They looked bad. They looked unprepared. There were a whole variety of injuries or got, you know, particularly Brisker looked like he had some sort of concussion, but came back in the game. Tyreek Stevenson, same thing. He got hurt and came back in the game. There was that issue with fields at the end of the game, just absolutely getting crushed and DJ Moore dragging him off the field. And then he comes back in the game. That's a whole other thing. But looking at the Chicago Bears, they're 0-3. They are 28th overall in offense. They are 31st in the league in passing. Obviously, you know who the other team is, the New York Jets and the great Zach Wilson. They are 17th in rushing. And by the way, that has a lot to do with the fact, just in terms of net yards, because they run the ball a lot. They are 27th in points. They are averaging 15.7 points a game, which is, you know, as bad as it gets. That's worse than any time in the Matt Nagy era. They are 28th in overall defense, 29th in pass defense, 20th in run defense, 31st in most points allowed. Amazingly, they have one sack on the season. Yes, in case you were wondering, think about how many players have at least one sack. The entire team has one sack, which is 32nd in the league. They have given up 13 sacks, which is 31st in the league. So Justin Fields doing his usual thing of standing back there and just getting hit. And by the way, had his best game of the season, only getting sacked three times and actually got better protection despite how bad he was. They're 28th in completion percentage, 28th in the number of completions. They are just a really, really, really bad team. So the game was not very fun. Uh, we went home in the beginning of the fourth quarter, so I actually missed the. You know, I have to admit, admit I missed the Bears touchdown because I was so pissed off. It was not a great experience. I did enjoy uh, going with my chief season ticket holder wife, but that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other story. But what are what is your take? You know, on the Bears, and then I'd like to have a bit of a discussion about what should they do. I mean, like we're zero three. They are facing, amazingly, the Denver Broncos this weekend in the Garbage Bowl as the Broncos obviously lost. And this is amazing. So Denver loses to Miami 70-20, second highest scoring game in the history of the NFL. Miami scored 
10 touchdowns against them. And now the Broncos come into Soldier Field this weekend as a three and a half point favorite. That's how bad the Bears are. So what's your take overall? And, you know, what do you think the, the remedy or at least the next step should be? Yeah, Steve, it's just, yes, you, you rattle off a lot of stats. I had a few of them that were similar, you know, uh, you know, another one you, you didn't mention defense. The Bears are last in the league in allowing third down conversion. Yep. So teams have converted third downs against the Bears more than any team in the league. So it's a telling stat. It's a kind of an obscure stat, but that's a telling stat when you're allowing teams to continue their drives by easily converting on third down. So that was one that really jumped out at me. But, you know, back to the Bears. Um, this weekend with the Broncos, Steve, uh, Sean Payton, if you saw his uh, after-game uh, press conference, was extremely annoyed and extremely pissed off. You know, th- if this match is coming down to two equal shitty teams, you could take one guess which team has a better coach. And uh, if I was a gambling man, I think I'd put my t- my money on a team with a better coach. Uh, I think there's a reason why they're three-point favorites in this game, which, you know, they say home in the NFL is worth another two or three points. So that means the Bears are five to six-point dogs in a game at home against a team that just allowed 70 points. That's a sad stat. But back to what do I think is going to happen. I think the Bears are going to lose Sunday. And I think once they go 0-4, does the word tanking start coming into people's conversations? You know, no 0-4 team is going to make the playoffs. So now do you start, you know, moving moving along if you're a Bear and start doing things to make sure that the season stays that way? It's hard to conceive pro athletes and coaches would do that, but it certainly wouldn't be the first time. And what's interesting, let's say, let's play something out here, Steve. Let's say the Bears end up with the number one pick again, which could happen. It could happen with their pick. It could happen with Carolina's pick that they have. So, you know, they have certainly the best odds of any team in the NFL right now to get the number one pick. If that happens, the number one player out there, no doubt about it, consensus is Caleb Williams at USC. So do they take a quarterback? eventually launching fields at that point. But what I started thinking about, maybe Caleb Williams says, you know what, Bears, you draft me, I'm not playing for you. And for a lot of younger listeners might not realize, if you go back to the 80s, that was a habit that was started by a lot of athletes. It happened, you know, it was started by John Elway when he refused to go to the Baltimore Colts. He said he'd play in Major League Baseball. It got followed a few years later by Bo Jackson, who said he was not going to, you know, play for the, uh, I'm trying to think who drafted Jackson. Oh, he was drafted by Tampa. And he said he wasn't going to play for him. He went and played a year for Kansas City in baseball before Tampa gave up and gave his pick to the Raiders, which, of course, he went there. Kobe Bryant said he wouldn't play for the Charlotte Hornets. Draft me, not playing. They drafted him, eventually released him to the Lakers. So it, it hasn't been done in a long time with a stellar athlete. It would be interesting to see if that got repeated again. What do you think of well, that? I mean, the most modern one that I remember is obviously Eli Manning, who refused to go to uh, the Chargers. The Chargers. The Chargers. To, um, to Giants. Right. So, you know, so so I don't I don't know. Like, my brain is not like I'm not at that point yet. Like, I can't worry about that until after the season. Like, but I guess the question is, do I think that they're going to tank? So the answer to that is, I don't think they're going to have to try 
because they have such bad talent. I do think that you can only lose so many games. They obviously have lost 13 in a row. And if they lose on Sunday, which I would just expect that they would lose for no other reason, but then they always lose. And Denver is a favorite for a reason. So I just would not expect them to win. You know, the, the issue is you've got to change something um, after this period of time. And Kevin Warren needs and I think would want to make a mark on this franchise. And I just don't see them allowing, you know, the uh, the current administration to just simply go and keep losing and keep losing. I don't see, you know, the current administration, a lot, you know, just letting Justin Fields out there, you know, go out there for the whole season. So I would not be surprised. I mean, if they are 0-4, and, and if, God forbid, they get decisively beaten this weekend, there's just no reason to leave the coaching staff in place anymore. And frankly, Ryan Poles made that hire. Ryan Poles, you know, has made some mistakes. I don't know that I'm not willing to say that Ryan Poles is the worst talent evaluator in the world. You know, you can make that argument. You can make it not. I mean, the guy's had two drafts. He's, you know, he's gotten some guys that seem decent. Um, it appears that uh, he should have drafted Jalen Carter this year, which is another issue. But I would, and I know the Bears are the only NFL franchise. Or CJ Stroud. So I know the Bears are, yeah, he, he looks good so far. We'll, we'll see, but I agree with that. So the Bears are the only, and I have a question about that. The Bears are the only NFL franchise to never fire a coach during the season. I don't see that continuing because how many games in a row are you going to let this guy lose? So I do think that they're going to clean out the coaching staff um, if they lose this weekend. And I know how crazy that sounds. I know that doesn't happen. And here's the other thing about how crazy it is. Generally, when you do that in season, you elevate one of the coordinators. Guess what? We don't have a defensive coordinator because he disappeared because of some conduct issue unbecoming this last week. And then the offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, is basically public enemy number one. I think if you ask people, who do you like more, Eberflus or Luke Getze, most people would say they like Eberflus better. I know I, know I would. So the question is, what are they going to do? Is there some other guy on that staff that has had some head coaching experience somewhere they could just elevate? Are they going to bring in some somebody just off the street and figure it out? Like you know what I mean? Just some retired guy or somebody who's I, I don't know I don't know who they're going to replace him with, but I'm telling you right now they're going to move on this coaching staff, and if they do. I would do a clean sweep and I and get rid of polls as well. And I feel bad about that, about the polls thing. But I think I would just make, if I were Kevin Warren and he really is empowered to run the organization, I would make a clean sweep and do yet another rebuild. Thoughts? Well, you know, it's interesting what you said about Kevin Warren. You know, I think a lot of people think he got brought in to do his stadium magic like he did in Minnesota and, you know, gave him the position, but, you know, concentrate heavily on, you know, getting out of Soldier Field and getting a stadium built. But like you said, he is in charge of everything. So it'll be interesting to see how he reacts. A tidbit I had for you, Steve, was if the Bears lose, go 0-4, what do you think will happen first? Fields gets benched or a coaching change happens? You know, because both of them are warranted at that point, but it'd be interesting to see which one. I don't think – well, I, I was going to say I don't think both will happen. I think if they get a new coaching change, I think 
the first thing they do is they would try a different quarterback. But no, I actually I don't think that. I think the first thing for whoever they hire as the coach, this is not like major league baseball where you can just fire somebody during the season and then hope to improve during the season. You're basically admitting if you change coaches that it's a disaster and you just want the guys to try hard if nothing else. So I wouldn't be surprised if that gives fields a longer lease on life, but I will just tell you this. If they lose this weekend and they don't get rid of the coaching staff, there is going to be so much heat on this coaching staff that they're going to have to just do something different, if nothing else, for the sake of doing it. We're already, if you listen to talk radio, hearing the Tyson Bajant talk. And yes, I'm one of them. I want to see Tyson Bajant. Am I saying that he's going to be the next, you know, Brock Purdy or whatever the case may be? I, I'm not. But all I know is I like what I saw in the preseason and I don't like what there is now. So, yes, I want to see that guy. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But I'll, I'll just tell you this. I'm going to make this guarantee, and I will be held accountable for this on the next episode, um, which we can even do after the game on Sunday. If the Bears lose this Sunday, and particularly if they lose badly, um, and, and particularly if Fields does not play much better, and obviously he should, but, you know, who knows. But I'm just telling you, if they lose again, something is going to change. The coaching staff's going to be gone. The quarterback's going to be gone. You just can't do this because here's the argument. If I'm sitting there asking Eberflus questions in the post-game press conference on Sunday, I, I'm going to say to him, look, you just lost to a team that coming in was no worse than the second worst team in the league, if we consider you guys to be the worst team in the league. If you can't beat them at home, they coming off a 50-point loss that they just came off of, then who can you beat? Why should we believe that you can beat anyone if you can't beat them? So, therefore, there will be changes. Well, like you said, though, changing coaching staffs is not an easy thing um, because finding replacements is in midseason is not an easy thing to do. Uh, certainly changing quarterbacks is an easier maneuver than changing coaching staffs. I think if the Bears are even getting slightly trounced on Sunday, I think Fields has gone by half. That's my my prediction. If they're down at half, and if they're down by 10 or more points, I think you will not see Fields come out the second half. I think this guy is, uh, I think he's a mental mess, besides the fact that I think he's starting to prove to not be even remotely a top-level NFL quarterback. But, boy, when you saw that guy at the press conference and you could just see the look on his face, I got to do 14 more of these, and he may have to do 14 more, you know, with, with, after getting his ass beat again. I don't think he will do 14 more because I don't think he'll be the quarterback for 14 games, in my opinion. But, you know, we'll see. Let the games play out. But uh, this team is, as we've rattled off those stats, this is one bad football team. I mean, it's beyond – you can't even – it's beyond bad. It's beyond embarrassing for Chicago. You know, but Kevin Warren certainly was the one guy that wasn't here during all of this. You know, know, does he start with polls? Who knows? I – you know, everything's on the table at that point. If they lose Sunday and and, and lose convincingly, uh, I, I think short of getting rid of the McCaskies or the team being sold, uh, I don't think anything is uh, unquestionable that this Kevin Warren may or may not do. If he does nothing, um, you know, I think it reflects on him. I think he's, he's going to have to do something, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think they will. But I guess, you know, we have to see how – 
it's probably not fair to project details of Sunday. We just have to see what happens. But I don't like what I'm hearing from Eberflus in terms of I got to watch the tape and, you know, we did things better. And I mean, here's the thing. The biggest problem is the one reason I can tell you that this team is worse is tell me one thing that this team does well. Like, there's not one thing that they do well. Like, you could argue last year, they actually ran the ball pretty well. Like, they they did. This year, they're not doing anything well. But, hey, I got a question which is related to this. And um, I don't think I brought this up to you before. But, in fairness, uh, a guy who I was chatting with at Arrowhead on Sunday mentioned this to me. Can you think of a rookie quarterback that came into a bad team, you know, kind of a last place bad team and actually turn that team around and became the man. So let me give you ones that are not examples. So, you know, you look at everyone brings up Jalen Hurts. Well, he came in to a roster that was largely built out, had a great offensive line. You know, they got him obviously a couple more weapons. They, you know, they had the makings of a really good defense. You know, you even, you look at, um, you know, look at when Tom Brady came in. I mean, obviously that you know that was a playoff team with Drew Bledsoe before. You know, the the Colts were not a terrible team when Peyton Manning showed up. I mean, you can go on and on and on, but these teams were decent. To, oh, look at Mahomes! Like they were making the playoffs every year with Alex Smith. Worst broke leg in the history of football. Yes. So, so I guess my question is, you know, there's not really much precedent for a a rookie quarterback turning things around. I can think of one example, so I will position it a bit as a trivia question to you. And yes, it, it appears that after three games that C.J. Stroud looks good. I mean, we'll see. Let, let's not – let's. it's three games, so I'm not saying he doesn't look good. He does, but let's wait on that one. But can you think of an example of a rookie quarterback who really turned a team around? I mean, I get the, quarter, the rookie quarterback or young quarterback making the team much better. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like Aaron Rodgers followed Brett Favre. They were a perennial playoff team. And I, and I know your whole thing about, you know, maybe build the team first. I mean, that that's what this point is about. But can you? Well, I mean, you, know, you got to remember, a rookie quarterback, especially a star rookie quarterback, is getting picked by a really shitty team. So, you know, he could have a good season. He could be better than people thought. Uh, but, yeah, awful hard for him to turn an entire team around because basically he's going most of the time to one of the worst teams yeah, in the yeah. NFL. But but all so, of these. I mean, but that's the expectation I mean, when, of all these. That's the expectation well, of all these first of all these you know uh, first round quarterbacks. I don't know if the quarterbacks personally have that expectation that they personally feel they're going to take a last place team to a playoff uh, season in, in their first year. I, I don't know their first uh, year. It, I'm just saying it's it's kind of it's kind of hard. It's kind of a hard. But thing but I'm do. talking about I I know I know it's I'm not saying the first year. I'm just saying, I guess maybe differently said, what team started with the quarterback and and built the team out from there and then was successful with that quarterback? It's really hard to come up with a lot of examples. And frankly, the only one I can think of is Joe Burrow. Like, they were a last-place team, you know, in the second year against the Super Bowl. So, I mean, obviously, he's a good example. But I, I don't, like, I don't know. So it's like... I don't think Mitch Trubisky did a very good job in doing that. I mean, we could look at all the guys who have been drafted 
in the first round over the last 10 years. And I don't think you're going to find a lot of guys who, who really came into a bad team were part of, you know, were the key element in turning that team around and making them good. I mean, can you think of anyone? Uh, you know, I, I keep going back to my thought about, you know, they're coming onto a bad team, like you said. So no, not necessarily. I mean, I'm talking about any first round quarterback. I'm not talking about the first pick in the draft. I mean, oh, okay. I, I, right. I, I may have this wrong, but I believe that Jalen Hurts was a second round pick. You know, that's maybe, that's maybe an exception, but like, you know, I'm talking about anywhere in the in the first round. Yeah, but if you take a late round pick, you're a late round team because you were a really good team. Uh, if you're a 28th, 30th pick, you're more than likely not getting the top quarterback in the draft because they usually went earlier. So you're going to get a, uh, you know, third, fourth quarterback rated in the draft, fifth quarterback rated in the draft. And he's going to go on to a good team or fairly decent team if you have a late round draft pick. So, you know, guys that you're saying second round, third round, they still could be getting okay. picked in the second well, third round I, by a shitty team. I, I hear you, but well, I, guess- I agree. It's it's hard to do. And that's why I go back to my theory. Take the Bears, for example. I would rather see a team get built up with these picks and trades and build a team and then go get a quarterback. What do you got to trade for them? Whether you got, you know, I, I just think, you know, uh, agreeing with you, I think you might have more success that way, you know, because going the route like you're saying there's not a lot of examples of success to turn the teams around so i would have rather seen the bears between last year and then this coming year is uh you know do everything you can with offensive line defensive backs tight end whatever and get that team built up and then go find yourself a quarterback because you're you're still going to get a decent draft pick the next few years because you're not going to be a great team but uh i don't know that's just my way of thinking but it kind of goes along with your thought that you know, just grabbing a quarterback first pick all the time doesn't necessarily turn your team around. Yeah, because I'm wondering if the Bears have two of the top five picks, which they will <laughs> next year's draft. I'm not even 100%. I mean, next year is unusual. It's a very, very rich quarterback draft. So maybe, you know, you have to draft a quarterback. But I almost wonder, you know, do you take a <laughs> do you take an offensive tackle and a defensive tackle with the first two picks based on what, you know, based on what we've seen? Because it's not like it's worked out, you know, here for quarterbacks. But it's also not like it's worked out anywhere else. I mean, take a look at the Lions. Yeah, but the Bears have a – the Bears have a – somehow golden tradition of ruining quarterbacks you know and if if i was that caleb williams i'd be the first one in a few years to stand up and say i'm not going there. i mean they, i would tell my agent i'm not going there i mean they, but they, you know who knows but i mean they do I mean, but i mean they do i guess but it, it's i mean it's not like there's tons of other teams that have these traditions of you know, successfully drafting quarterbacks. Now, I think what the reason that it really stands out here, and I'd have to look at the at the data, but I think the reason that it stands out is because we've never had anyone. You know what I mean? Like, well, but some of these teams also have coaches that can make quarterbacks work, and they could develop quarterbacks. And the Bears haven't had any coaches in my memory that could develop quarterbacks. So they don't have to take a top quarterback right away. They could develop their team, get a quarterback, and they got coaching staffs that are able to do that. And the Bears certainly, certainly do not, and it shows. All I'm saying is most of these first-round quarterbacks fail. 
I mean, like the majority of them, regardless of where they go. So I don't really know what I'm saying, except the fact that, I mean, it's like. So it goes back to what I'm saying. Don't draft a quarterback. Develop the I mean, team. It, go get a quarterback. You know, it's like, go buy one. Go trade for one. Go get how one. How does, uh, you know, how, do you really want Kenny Pickett? You know, do you, is, is Bryce Young, like, really looking so good? You know, how did Jameis Wilson, you know, um, Jameis Winston do? How did Marcus Mariota do? I mean, like, I don't know. I'm just thinking of a bunch of first-round quarterbacks. It just seems well, that it, they have a tendency – to, you know, to not succeed. I mean, Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick in the draft. And, you know, I know he's had a little success, but I mean, you look at that guy last night, he was terrible. Like, I mean, and it's not like he's, all, he's like, okay, but it's not, certainly he's not what you wanted to get. Um, by the way, if you saw the documentary, I think you know, Johnny Manziel was drafted in the first round. That didn't seem to work out too well, but I, I just, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if you can build with a quarterback as the first piece. Well, you know, and let's go back. We're talking about Chicago Bears. Um, you got a management staff, scouts, coaches. This team is losers. I mean, up and down. You know, McCaskey's on down. They don't want to hear a, a coach tell the owners what to do. You know, go back to Dicka. You know, old man Hallis dies. McCaskey comes in. He wants to go into meetings. Dicka says, get the fuck out of here. You don't know anything about football. They didn't want a guy like that. So now you start looking at the coaches they started taking after that, from Tressman to uh, Lovey Smith to, you know, on and on coaches that will listen to the owners and just play patty cake with the players. I don't know. But, I mean, I give the Bears uh, zero chance of doing anything intelligent anytime in the future. And I think next year's just going to be another disaster for them. They got a track record of doing it, and they're really, really good at it, of uh, – just doing the wrong stuff. And I I think until the McCaskey family releases this team, if they ever do it uh, for fans to keep paying and keep going and keep being loyal, uh, I don't get it. I'm starting to lose interest uh, myself. It's just, I don't know. It's just heartbreaking. It's hard to watch, but you're going back to a team that since 1963. So we're going on 60 years has won two championships. 60 years. I would argue that, uh, by the way, it's, you just, it's embarrassing. But the common denominator, same family, same owners. We we can't control that. Like, you can complain. Like, I don't like to talk about that because there's just nothing to talk about because they're going to do what they're going to do. You know, they have to fire themselves. It's not going to happen. So Right. They're going to keep sucking at what they do because they suck at it. They're really bad at it. Um, one would argue that would appear to be the case, yes. Um, yeah. Phil, what else you got? You got anything else? Oh, that's about it. Um, no, nothing else. I mean, uh, oh yeah, we didn't touch base on another Chicago favorite, the University of Notre Dame, who went into a pretty important game against Ohio State and on a final drive only had 10 players on the field for the last two plays of the game, which, uh, back to coaching, reflects on coaching. So that'll be interesting to see if that uh, Coach Freeman gets a hall pass. Everybody seems to love the guy. But, uh, boy, oh, boy, that was hard to watch. Uh, you only got 10 players on the field uh, when the other teams and you know, within your five-yard line. So that was about it. Oh, and uh, Coach Prime, uh, I think Coach Prime uh, met his match. It certainly quieted him down a little bit. Uh, so it was a little exciting for a while. But, uh, you know, I think Coach Prime uh, is uh, going to have a little uh, uh, rude awakening for the rest of the season. It certainly got some uh, – 
tough games ahead of them still. Yeah, they don't have they don't have the beef up front on either side of the ball. I don't think to do much. I did not have a good feeling about that Oregon game for them, and it did play out that way. And yeah, that I thought that was a really tough loss for um, for Notre Dame, and clearly um, Freeman is taking some serious heat from that. And and if for some reason. You know, they end up not performing, you know, this year, next year. That will always be looked back at as a reason why maybe that guy didn't make it. But, you know, let's see. Um, You know, it's unfortunate because they could have easily won that game. And that would have been a signature win for them that they were not able to get. All right, Phil, that's it. Uh, Episode 44 is in the books. And uh, we will talk to everybody soon. Thanks to you. Thanks to everybody. Bye. Cool. Go Chiefs. Down by the riverside